Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook. Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Blair Cook. And I'm Jen Nicholson. Welcome to episode one. We are so excited to be starting this series of interviews with leaders on all kinds of topics that will be of interest to you no matter what area you specialize in. Now today, Jen, you had the opportunity to interview a couple of really fascinating guests. Yeah, I sure did. Yvette Silvatico and Frank Spencer are futurists. They help organizations develop long-term strategies. And in this podcast, you're going to talk to them about some future trends that they see that are changing the competitive landscape. Let's listen in. Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you become more successful in work and life. Today, I'm excited to have Yvette Montero Silvatico and Frank Spencer here with us. They are both partners in Kedge Futures. Yvette holds a bachelor's degree in finance and an MBA from the University of Florida and has over 15 years of corporate experience with large multinational firms such as Kimberly Clark and the Walt Disney Company. Before becoming a partner at Kedge, she led the effort to establish World Future Workforce Insights at the Walt Disney Company identifying future workforce trends and leveraging foresight models and techniques to assess potential threats and impacts, emerging ideas, and exciting opportunities for the organization. Now, how does that work for Walt Disney? Is that looking at what rides are going to be popular and that kind of thing? It's everything, really. I mean, honestly, they uh, they do business across all different fronts, from consumer goods to television and media to, right, of I course, the parks true. and attractions. Yeah. So, I mean, they're really concerned about the demographic changes and family how families are evolving, um, as well as how everything's becoming more digital because people don't necessarily need to buy things because they can have digital experiences and virtual experiences. So how do you com- you know, commoditize that? How do you um, make a business case around that? Wow. So it's amazing. I mean, the future trends impact everybody, everybody. every industry. Yeah. Exactly. And Frank is also a principal uh, partner with Kedge Futures. Prior to founding Kedge, Frank worked for 15 years as a leadership coach and developer with entrepreneurs, social communities, networking initiatives, and small and medium enterprises, helping them to advance human development, local and global innovation, and open source collaboration. He holds a Master's of Arts in Strategic Foresight from Regent University and is a member of the Association of Professional Futurists and the World Future Studies Federation. So uh, in your keynote, you talked about some of the biggest trends in the next few years. Tell us about the creator economy. So the creator economy is really exciting. It's a pattern really emerging from the collision of many, many trends. And it really speaks to the fact that consumers and even employees want more of a say in what's produced and what's designed. They want their fingerprint on everything. This is being fueled by things like 3D printing and drones and really changing the landscape around ownership. We're moving from really ownership being defined, uh, being the central definition of the economy, to more of access to assets being the central core. And you see that with Airbnb and Alibaba and and many, many examples. But ultimately, the creator economy is defined by these peer-to-peer networks that are often tech-enabled, that are completely transforming everything from economic systems to education. Wow. And then blurred reality. How does that fit in? Yeah, so blurred reality is another, as Yvette said, conglomeration of trends. It's really what we might call a pattern. And it demonstrates that there's a changing landscape that's going to impact all industries. It doesn't matter which industry you're in or what you do. And blurred reality is really this uh, understanding of that we're using tech so much with wearables and ingestibles or the way we're hooking our brains up now to computers and artificial 
artificial intelligence and virtual reality and augmented reality that we're blurring the lines between what is virtual, what is augmented, and what we call the real world or the physical world. But is that virtual world any less real, really? If we can sense it, if it changes the way we think, if it changes our values, if it connects us to people across the world in real time, then it's just as real, if not more real, than the world that we live in every day where we get up and eat breakfast and put our pants on and go to work. So both of those are important, and we're blurring the lines between the digital and the physical world. One of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about is that blurred reality doesn't just cover technology. We touched on it briefly, but we didn't get to talk about the example of, of gender and gender definition. I mean, the lines are really blurring. It used to be that we thought of gender as binary. And whether it's in consumable goods or the way that we're defining language, there are countries in Europe that have created new pronouns that are meant wow. to cover not the he or the she. Yeah, in but, Sweden it's but, hen, yeah. H-E-N, hen. Yeah. It means neither he nor she. It's just somewhere in between. Yeah. And of course, as on Facebook, I think they let you choose among 59 different really? choices yeah. for your wow. gender. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so whether it's in retail where... You know, there's been a big pushback on the toy aisle that, you know, pink and blue, um, all the way to, as I mentioned, you know, the way that we're defining ourselves as individuals. Um, Gender is definitely an element of the blurring of lines. Yeah. Well, so all of our our customers, clients, how you interact with with everyone, your colleagues, has to change. Absolutely. Yeah, we were walking through Amsterdam not long ago, and uh, as part of uh, being a futurist, it never you can't turn that off. Your brain never turns off. So we're walking down the street, and there is a sign, and it just says, "Nobody has to know." N H T K. Yeah. And it was a store, and we were like, "Nobody has to know." What does this mean? And then we um, automatically have to know. Yeah. 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 I need to know. <laughs> I need to know right now. Right? Yeah. So the store was closed, but uh, we took pictures, and you could see that it was gender-neutral clothing so that you would not necessarily say this is close. It would only be for a male or only for a female. So, you know, that's just one case of many that today we're seeing. It's not, it doesn't mean that people can't identify as male or female or won't continue to do that, but that we're blurring those lines and we have to get used to this world where the lines are blurred both digitally and in terms of our lives generally. You know, another simple way to put this is we'd like to live by our passions now too. We don't want to have a work self, a family self, and a vacation self. We'd like to have all all of those blur together and we're choosing our jobs by whether or not they fulfill our passions now, whether it's something that we'd like to do, whether it fulfills a life goal. It's even said today that a graduate from college will have somewhere between three and seven jobs in their life. And in my parents' lifetime, that was one job. You went to, you created a career, you were there for 40 years, you were proud of that. Today, they're not proud of that. They want to change jobs seven, ten times in their lifetime. That's how you actually move up the job ladder. And that's a part of that blurred reality world as well. I'm surprised it's not even higher than that, actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is yeah. really interesting because, I mean, that one example of, of you know, how youth are imagining or are viewing their future careers is fundamental. But it's not in isolation. Again, no trend exists in isolation. Look at the fact that, you know, fewer millennials are buying homes and buying vehicles. Part of that is an economic reason. Part of that is an environmental reason. But ultimately, what it's allowing them to do is that they're not tied down by a mortgage or a car payment. And so they're free. Definitely some merit to that. Absolutely. Here, here. And so whether it's the tiny home movement or this really idea that you're going to be a nomad and you're not attached to to physical goods, that has significant impact, not just in consumer goods companies, but also in organizations that want to attract talent. Absolutely. Huge. 
So how does this all impact the push for diversity? When we look at mm-hmm. our push for diversity on boards and within you know, senior management roles. It's huge. Well, there's a great intersect between future studies and diversity because ultimately, whether it's diversity or something like climate change, it requires people to take a long, long-term long view. And uh, what we've done with diversity, and it's very common, is we've attempted to attach metrics Right. And so we say, well, if we can just measure it and we'll track it and surely then we'll get more women on the boards. It doesn't work. Either people find ways around the numbers or you don't get the right candidates. Ultimately, you have to, you know, again, rewire people's brains to look at diversity in a different light. Yeah. In general, futures thinking is about diversity, really, because you have to think very diverse across multiple fields and drivers of change. And so, of course, that's going to boil back down to the people. I need in a room of future thinkers, a diverse set of people. I need entrepreneurs in there. I need uh, engineers in there. I need designers. I need people from different cultures and backgrounds and races because they think differently. They see the world differently. And then we're going to get a real view of what it means, how the future unfolds. I will not get a good view of how the future is unfold as me, as a 50-year-old white male. If I have nothing but a room of me, then the future is going to look very bland and very pale. It's going to look a lot like you, which is not bland <laughs> that, or pale. Right. Well, well you know, thank you for saying as so. I'm, as I'm looking at you right thank, now. Thank you for saying so. Um, and it will still be even bland or pale even if I have another ethnicity or race in there because we can't just see it from one view. We've got to see it from multiple yeah, views. Absolutely. And that's why futures thinking and diversity really go hand in hand. Yeah. It can really make you become very diverse if you become a good future thinker. The other place where it intersects is around the work of assumption and bias. And we touched on this briefly on the session, but one of the core principles around strategic foresight is that we have a filter for information and that filter could prevent us from seeing what's actually emerging. The same is true for diversity inclusion. I mean, the reason why people tend to have struggles on recruiting diverse talent is because we tend to hire people that look and act like us. We're comfortable with that, right? It's the same, it's the same exact process of, of processing information. A tool within strategic foresight that's really powerful and unearthing those assumptions and biases is called CLA. It stands for causal layered analysis. And the best image for it is uh, the iceberg, right? So the tip of the iceberg, we have the issue, right? Um, A good generational or a good diversity issue is generational warfare, which, you know, of course, in the U.S., we have a war on everything, including generations. We have multiple generations in the workforce. And of course, that's challenging and it's difficult for retention and knowledge transfer. So the glacier analogy, the CLA, works from that uh, above the water issue all the way down through several layers to really uncover the root cause of that issue. So the first layers of systems are the structures or the actors. So in the case of generational warfare, it could be the way that we recruit, the way that we retain talent, the way that we compensate, even our physical offices. All of those things can you know, ultimately cause generational warfare to pop up. Belief the systems level is the culture. So typically what happens is someone says, oh, we've got generational warfare. We're not innovative. I can't retain talent. I know we'll benchmark. Google, very good at being innovative, very good at retaining talent. What do they do for their talent? Oh, they allow them 20% of their time to do whatever yeah, they, they want. They have a cafeteria where the you know, five-star free, chef. It's yeah, free that's food. Right. Oh, and they have a ball pit. Ball pit. And a slide. A slide that goes into the ball pit and that you get free food after you get out of it. <laughs> so I, I mean, got it. I know what we'll do as a company. We'll put in a slide in a ball pit it's and perfect. poof, we'll be more innovative. Perfect. And but, we'll, we'll, everybody will get along. Yeah. We won't have generational warfare. Except done not. Done and done. Yeah, no, that's because not how that works. You put in, if you have a very 
risk averse, you know, or your culture's not that way and you put in the ball pit. I've seen this. It literally, we've seen, we've worked with companies that put in a ball pit. Really? Yes. yes. It's super awkward. As a matter of fact, it was in LA about a year ago and a client <laughs> said, we're sitting next to a 30-story building. There's our office up there on the 30th floor and you won't believe this, but about a month ago, we put in a ball pit because Google has a ball pit. So we thought if we get people to play in a ball pit. Well, very different culture and a very different kind of company. And it's been a month now when nobody's gotten in the ball pit. <laughs> and nobody ever will because that is not your culture. Exactly. If somebody gets in and breaks their leg, you're probably going to get sued anyway, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So. so below the systems is the culture. And then there's an actual level below the culture because not every organization has the same culture. So CLA describes that as myths and metaphors. So what's interesting about a tool like CLA and Futures Thinking is you dive down you know, underneath an issue to understand the root causes. And then you go back up the tool to reframe it to, you know, if we want a different future, if we want to create a different future, it begins with the actions we take today. And that's a critical um, insight is that the future is really not about the future. The future is actually about today. Right, exactly. Because as you quoted, how you think about the yep. future is how you behave today. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The way that you think about the future basically is going to uh, impact the actions and the thoughts that you take today. So it's very, very important for us to think about the future more robustly, more intentionally, more purposefully, so that our actions today will be uh, built on, our strategies, our innovations will be built on a more robust foundation and not this linear official future, again, that's going to get us in trouble because that's not the one that's going to unfold. Yeah, one of the places where strategic foresight efforts fall apart is that, you know, they, you know, this is classic. I know we need to think about the future consumer 2030 or employee 2030, <laughs> and they assign a date to it, which makes perfect sense. But when you're, you know, confronted on your busy calendar with meetings that are conflicting and you've got consumer 2030 at 10 a.m. and you have <laughs> a meeting for the audit that's due next week against it, which one are you going to do? Well, there's plenty yeah, of exactly. years between now and 2030, last time I checked. So when we relegate the future to be a time, it just feels like, well, it'll eventually get here. I don't need to worry about it right now. When we instead think about the future as a place, a place we can populate, a place that we can change, that we can you know, really have an effort in creating that changes our relationship and it makes it be more about today, which ultimately it is. And how can our listeners start using Foresight Today to be more successful in work and life? Yeah, well, one of the things that we mentioned earlier uh, in this uh, podcast is that we need to think in simultaneous multiples. So one of the things that we do when we have our heads down and we're doing our job is we just, and a lot of this is unconscious, right? We don't realize we're thinking about the future, but everybody really thinks about the future. You already have an idea of what it's going to be like tomorrow to get up to eat breakfast, to put on your clothes, to live at your house and those kinds of things. We don't realize that a lot of our thinking about the future is unconscious. So we need to make it more conscious and we need to think about multiple futures, not just one pathway, but we need to think about that fortress world, that transformative world, there's a more uh, unfolding market world, much like it is today, but extrapolated out from today and all of the in-betweens, as many as we can. And that way we'll be more robust in our thinking and we'll cover our ground and we'll be ready for whatever unfolds. That's one way we can do it. Yeah. And to populate those futures, you know, we tell people to scan broadly. So one way to do that is to join Twitter and to follow folks outside of your realm. A more systematic way is to scan across a framework we call STEEP. So STEEP stands for social, technological, economic, environmental, and political. So one rule of thumb is every week, 
read at least one article in each of those domains. Wow, that's great advice. Yeah. And you could even go as far as to subscribe to a publication that sort of, you know, focuses on that and read the magazine cover to cover every time it comes through. But with the internet, it's so easy now to do effective scanning. Just be careful. When you're out there scanning, make sure that if you come across an idea that appears to be ridiculous, you pause and you ask yourself why. This will enact, you know, and help you prevent from your automatic filtration system, from, you know, attacking, uh, you know, a new idea and getting rid of it before you've had a chance to process it. So, and then ultimately, if you can find a group of people to scan and to think about the future with, that's always better because foresight is not an individual, but a team sport. We all have different perspectives and backgrounds and and uh, mindsets. And if we can bring it all together, it actually creates a much more robust way of thinking and creating the future. Wow. That was amazing. Amazing insight. Thank you so much, Yvette and Frank, for joining us. Thank you very much. It was our pleasure. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpacanada forward slash podcast 